Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. All right, my show, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, has hit 1 million podcast downloads because of you. This is huge. That means we're in the top 5% of all podcasts among listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting what we do. Iron sharpens iron. On this show, we dive into the most pressing news of our time. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Providing insightful commentary and a heavy dose of fact-based truth. We cover criminal justice, politics, social justice, policy, and how racism affects us all. Find Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed to our show so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate us with five stars. Now that we've reached one million podcast downloads, let's get our show to number one in the podcast charts. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris.
Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey. Someone's got to Hey, Brian. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Today is the Helping Friendly Podcast live. You know what we're talking about today? Do me? Yeah. Do you I, know? I think. Do you know? I, 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 I really hope I do. It's actually the screen here. But we see. are talking. Okay, PNC, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are talking about fish. We gave our love on Monday to the incredible band Goose, where Mr. Train Astasio sat in with him. If you haven't heard it, it's up on Nugs. The video's all over the place. If you haven't heard it, I don't really know what you're doing. I don't know how you could have missed it, but it's out there. <laughs> it was incredible. We had Bruce, we had Brian, all of them on the podcast on Monday to break down an incredible moment. Uh, I called it one of the greatest musical moments of my life. I think that you called it one of the same. I wasn't even there. I still it was amazing it because yeah, it was. But we are here today to look back in time 22 years at one of my favorite runs in fish history. A run that has, I can't say my favorite piece of banter because I held that information back, but I also, in our premium episode two weeks ago, a week ago, something like that, I talked about another piece of banter, but this has, this run has some of my favorite banter in the history of fish. So good. It warms my heart every time I hear it. It also has my favorite segue of all time and it has the white whale in my world, which we're going to get to all of that. We're going to dive into PNC 2000 from Homedale, New Jersey, talk through these shows, talk through where the band was at at this point in time, and just kind of share our thoughts on Fish 2000. Before we do that, though, Megan, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm kind of on the summer vacation vibe. My kids have gotten really into watching Saturday Night Live, so we've been eating Cheetos and watching Saturday Night Live. So that's been my vibe this week. Pretty good. It's a really good vibe. Yeah, although they like the puffy Cheetos, not the like crunchy ones. And not right. It's not right. I mean, I don't eat a lot of junk food, but when I do, like I want it to be the stuff that I want. And they like the big puffy Cheetos and mm mm-mm. I mean, I'll eat them, but I'd much rather have the crunchy ones. My son came home from a play date recently and was like, they like Cheetos, but they like puffy Cheetos and I like crunchy Cheetos and I didn't want to have any Cheetos, but I really wanted Cheetos. And I was like, that's a dilemma I understand. See, he's going through the same stuff I'm going through. He must be on summer vacation. (laughs) He's on summer break, um, dealing with some big things. Uh, (laughs) But that's amazing. That's amazing. And you are getting ready. We are getting ready. All of us are getting ready for summer tour, which is coming up mm-hmm. in just about two and a half weeks time. I'm pretty blown away that we're almost at that point. We, uh, crazy. we, we want, we want all of you out there. It is crazy. We want all of you out there who are going to shows to reach out to us at HF pod on Twitter. Uh, send us individual DMS and we will yeah. connect with you because we want to have you on as recappers for this upcoming 
summer tour. We love having people on who are at the shows, talking with them about their experiences at the shows, talking with them about their experiences, seeing fish overall and how all of that wraps around to this experience of seeing fish in the current tour. We're going to do a big recap, big overview throughout the entire summer. So we're very stoked about that. Um, We also want to tell you out there to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple for HF Pod Premium. We have premium episodes that come to you every week. Little short snacks, uh, ideas that don't make it like a full episode out of them, ideas that, you know, we, we start talking through an episode and we're like, hey, we should zone in on that concept a little bit more. And so we record it as a bonus episode. So check that stuff out. Uh, HF Pod Premium on Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. Lots more to come in that area as well. We also would encourage you all to like, review, and share HF Pod with your friends. The best way to support what we do is to share it, to like it, to give us a review on iTunes, all that fun stuff. Um, couple other quick things here really quickly before we get into the main show. We want to tell you about the live show. We just launched this. RJ and I are hosting this. Um, Three days a week, 12 p.m. Eastern. We are running through live catalogs of other artists, taking whatever we've learned here from Fish and applying it to other bands. Currently, we're working through the Dave Matthews Band's live track series. Um, a lot of other bands in the future that we're going to be going to. It's it's going to be awesome. It's a fun show. Check that out. Available as a podcast as well as how we broadcast here on YouTube, Facebook. Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we also encourage you to check out the Ardmore event on OsirisPod.com slash Osiris Live. We're hosting an event at the Ardmore Music Theater the night before the fish shows at The Man. Tom Hamilton, Chris Forsyth, Daniel Donato will be playing guitar with a house band that features um, Andy Cush as well as Ryan Jewell. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I mean, it's going to be so sick. I'm going to be there. You are going to be there. Mm-hmm. I might be there, but you are going to be there. That is way more important than me being there. Um, I'm really, really, <laughs> <Hardly. laughs> I'm really, really excited for all of you who are going to be there at the event. So check out osirispod.com slash Osiris live and keep your eyes out to the Osiris social pages tomorrow around 10 a.m. Eastern for a very, very special Osiris live announcement. I will just leave it there. Oh my gosh. Now I'm curious. Okay. Well, I'll be there. I'll be checking them out at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm just going to say that the announcement passes the Dave test. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. We also want to tell you all before we jump in to the main segment here, where we're going to talk about 628 and 629, 2000. We are sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD. Megan, do you want to tell us about Sunset Lake CBD and everything great about them? I'd love to. Sunset Lake CBD is so awesome and I've been using a lot of it and I actually needed a lot of it this weekend because I was at Radio City Music Hall. It was a really elevated experience and I needed to kind of calm down and come back to earth after being on this like spaceship of joy and music 
inspiration. And so I relied a lot on Sunset Lake CBD's gummies, and they have a line of smokable hemp products too that are great. They're great for everybody, for the new goose fan like me, or the old deadhead, or the new fish fan, anybody searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. They have nine different strains from this year's harvest, so really there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry Abacus, very good for the end of the night after a show or as the concert's kind of winding down. Really nice to smoke some Cherry Abacus. All the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, they have this farm-to-table approach, so they get you really great pricing on premium CBD flour because they ship directly from their farm to your door, and they have super fast shipping. So check them out today, sunsetlakecbd.com, and use the coupon code HFPOD, and you are going to get 20% off your whole entire order. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Such amazing stuff. I'm utilizing a lot mm-hmm. of Sunset Lake at this point in time. There's just, there's so much happening, so many good things, but like, I got to stay calm. Yeah. Do you know who didn't stay calm though? And it was a good thing? I have an idea. Who? Is it fish? It's fish in <laughs> late June, early July of the wow. year 2000. They were not calm. They were not calm. They were not calm. It was a legitimately insane period in time musically. These shows, 628 and 629, 2000, are so fast, are so aggressive, (laughs) are so intense. Like every time I go back and listen to them, regardless what it is I've been listening to from Fish beforehand, I end up just like, you just forget how fast this band used to be. Oh my God. It's overwhelming. Um, we're going to go through these two shows because I, well, I guess I'm going to ask at the top, were you familiar with these shows? Had you listened to these shows much or was this your first exposure checking these out? I've definitely listened to these at some point, but I've never sat down and listened to them in a really focused way back to back these two shows. So it was definitely interesting and super intense. And I felt like I learned a lot about where the band was then. And also just what the crowd was like too, because I was listening on audience tapes. So it was really fun to hear that. The crowd is going nuts at these shows. I mean, absolutely nuts. People are so amped up and the energy is just wild between the crowd and the band. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. This this run, um, well, you know, we, we find ourselves about six months post Big Cypress at this point in time. But this run, a year prior, the band had played two nights at PNC Bank Arts Center in uh, Homedale, New Jersey. It was their third and fourth headlining or excuse me, second and third headlining shows at the Garden uh, State Arts Center. They played there uh, on 7-2-1994 as well. But they come back the following year, about a week and a half or so into their summer tour. They played a few shows at Radio City in May of 2000. They went to Japan in early June 2000. Those are very mellow shows. Those are shows that like are very cerebral. They're like uh, They're meditative in a lot of ways. And then they come back to America 
And there's a really solid show that kicks off the tour in Antioch, Tennessee. There's an amazing tweezer from Atlanta, Georgia on 624. There's a so-so show from um, Raleigh. And then they take a slight break and they do this six-night run, 628 to 7-4-2000. We're just going to focus on the first two nights, but I just want to tell everyone out there, if you haven't done a full listen of 628, 629, 71, excuse me, 630, 71, 73, and 74. Only one night off there, 7-2. That whole run from 628 to 74, it is some of my favorite fish ever. And I would just implore Mr. Kevin Shapiro, one of the greatest people on the face of the planet. Let's release this as a box set, huh? Let's do it. I think it'd be a great call. Oh, that'd be super cool. Yeah, you could do really fun things. That'd be amazing to have that all together. It also, like, it's nice to get, it would be really nice to hear this through the, get get that treatment because it's, I had a hard time, like, I wanted to hear it clear. Yeah, these, I really love the odds of these because you hear the room in a really nice way. Like you hear the pavilion, like you said a couple of minutes ago, you really hear the crowd, but anytime aspects of these shows have been released in soundboard, you really get a sense of like how tight the band was playing. And we're going to talk about that because to play at the speed that they were playing in, like they were all fully locked in and they were fully connected. Um, one question I have for you, and I want to kind of use this as a diving in point here for these shows. So I got into fish in the summer of 2001. So just a year after these shows happened, I was aware of fish, but there was no, I had one chance to see fish actually 1.0, 9.22, 2000. I got offered a ticket and I wasn't able to go because it was like a Tuesday night. I was a sophomore in high school and I just gotten surgery. And my mom was just like, you're not going to a concert. And I was like, but I kind of want to like older kids are asking me to go to a concert. She was like, you're not going to a concert. Oh, that's so, so sad. I didn't get to see fish 1.0. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. There's we all have chance. the one that got away from us. I got a couple, but that one, like that one, really hurts, <laughs> that one hurts. Yeah. But when I got in fish in 2001, shortly thereafter, the live fish series began. And the first six shows famously and kind of head scratchingly included three 2000 shows, which is just a year earlier. Um, two of which are fantastic. The Darien Lake show from nine fourteen, the Fukuoka show from six fourteen. One of which I still don't have any understanding of why they released this as a live fish series, let alone in the first batch seven, eight, 2000 from Alpine Valley. But the impression I got from people that I was getting into fish from was don't worry about 2000. It's, it's not a very good year. The band's tired. They're done. They're ready for a break. And I kind of feel like I get that perception in the moment, but as time has passed, I really feel like this year has really won me over and really like it, it, it's become one of the strongest years I go back to on a regular basis, especially in the late nineties. And like, if you think about that period from 97 to 04 is kind of one elongated chunk of experimentation uh, in many ways. And also like the band breaking up, I find 2000 to be one of the stronger years, but I'm curious at the time, were you seeing fish in 2000? What were your perceptions and what are your perceptions now? 
No, I wasn't really seeing fish in 2000. I think I saw them the last time I saw them in 99 in that summer. And then I was just, I was ending college and I was super into like house music and hip hop. I was like really into hip hop. And I just was kind of done with the scene. The scene had kind of soured me on everything about it. And I kind of felt like I was moving on to a different part of my life and kind of ready to kind of think about who I was outside of of being a fish fan. And so I really wasn't, you know, I would listen to it kind of secretly, like when I would like allow myself that, but I was really in a different headspace. Um, and so I didn't listen to a lot of 2000 fish. And I also think that when people are thinking about it, like when you're talking about in 2001, they're also looking at it through the lens of them having just gone on hiatus, right? So of course it's right. easy to think like, oh, they needed a break. They needed, but I don't know how much any of us knew that in 2000 or 99. I mean, they sounded, I mean, they just did Big Cypress. You listen to these shows, they sound incredible. They don't sound tired at all, at all. So it's hard to imagine that people were actually thinking that in 2000. You know, I think the scene had really changed a lot and there was a lot going on in the scene then, but it's interesting to listen back now with kind of an understanding of what was going on with them historically after reading interviews about like what Trey said was going on with him feeling overwhelmed by the kind of like organization and how that big of that had gotten and how this had become so much more of a job and less of a creative endeavor. And they weren't writing music as much and they weren't enjoying playing together and rehearsing as much as they used to. And, but I think that's all kind of looking backwards. Like, I don't think if you listen to these shows, I don't hear that in this show, these two shows. Yeah, it's really wild for me to think about because like where I'm currently at in life, I'm I'm about the same age that these guys were at in 2000 when they were um, getting ready to take a hiatus. And like, I wonder, you know, if like so many of us do random things in college, have like fun experimenting with this create it create creating you know maybe you start a band maybe you get really into like painting maybe you get really into like whatever it may be and then you kind of move on in life in not necessarily you grow out of it but like you know if it does if it's not the type of thing that like is going to pay your way forward in life and pay bills and allow you to survive it's the type of thing that becomes something you did in college and it's wild to think that like, for me, college at this point in my life feels so long ago. And the person that I was in college feels so long ago. And these guys are doing something at a point in their life where they're starting to hit middle age, their kids are starting to grow up, they're starting to think about like their legacy, who are they as people. And this thing that they've been doing since they were in college is like still here. And so I, I got to imagine like on some senses, you, you just said it really well, like, it's not necessarily that they were playing poorly. It's that they're just probably ready for a change. And Trey said it really well on the after midnight series that we put out um, that, you know, they walked off stage after big Cypress and they were just like, we just don't know what to do. And and we don't know where to go, Yeah, you know, and what do you do after that? Like if you accomplish something on that level. Um, but it's interesting to your point as well, that you had kind of left the scene you were you you weren't really engaging with it. I want to highlight this quote from Brian, our one of our good friends here, who hosts the phenomenal Attendance Bias podcast. I encourage Love all that of podcast. You out there. Just so recorded great. an episode with him too, so it's Yay! coming out in a few weeks. Yeah. Oh man, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to retweet that. That's awesome. Amazing stuff. We got to get Brian on here again. He he. Yeah, he's, he's so awesome. Last summer, he is. Um, but he says here, 
The scene was getting frayed around the edges. The music was getting closer to ambient experiment, experimentalism that required c- close focus. Tough in a large, loud venue. I think that that's a really good point. And I think that that's one of the things that's so unique about this run that we're talking about here is mm-hmm. that this run isn't really ambient. It's not really like experimental even. It's like just, it's two rock shows, but like yes, what he's pointing rock. to, it's super rock. What he's mm-hmm. pointing to though is like, think about seven threes, runaway gym, the seven, four second set seven, 12 has a very mellow second set. There's a lot of that happening throughout the overall tour that is kind of, and especially as you get in the fall tour, that is kind of informing this, like, it didn't feel like the band was at the point of like discovering new sounds the way that they had been the previous three years. And it, and it puts you in a position as a listener, as well as like, I would imagine as something from the band as, I don't know, just kind of searching, like, do we need a break to figure out what's next? Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think what Brian's saying about the scene too is really important. I think there was a lot of negativity that was starting to kind of creep in. Um, and I think that that was hard to ignore at that point. Yeah, I think that that negativity is a really clear, like it, it's a very important point. And it's something that we would hear as the band would move into the 2.0 era as well, where we would find the band at a point in time where like there were expectations for a return to the past that was never actually going to come. And those expectations seem to, they're, they're still there in a lot of cases, but at this point in the band's history, that really seemed to be something that like impacted their overall perception within the larger fan base. Yeah, I agree. Should we dive into these shows? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we got two shows, both at the PNC Bank Arts Center in Homedale, New Jersey. The first one, 628. Set one, we've got Chalk Dust, Sloth, Taste, Gin, Piper, and If I Could, a six-song first set. I love this first set. I do too. This is so that we have four sets to talk about. I would say that this set I probably have as my second favorite set of the overall run. And I like this first set mm. more than I like the next night, even though I love them. There's a segment in the next night that we'll talk about, but what are your thoughts kind of overall on this first set? What were your highlights? I think the energy coming out of the gate is incredible. I mean, this is just a total insane opener. The crowd's going nuts. This trade just shreds. It's just, it's incredible into like a super rocking sloth. I thought the taste was like a really great call there after these like super kind of like aggressive songs to put taste there. Really beautiful peaks, great playing by Paige. And then this gin is awesome. I mean, it's triumphant. It's just like, rocking gin it's 17 minutes it's incredible the piper gets like a little chaotic for me i'm not it's not really my favorite and then i love the if i could set closer like just such a different vibe to end the set cool set it's very cool set um the taste it makes the jam charts 
mainly based off of Fishman hearing Trey like just trilling and soloing with, uh, I don't know if I'd call it like gracefulness. It's just, it's, he's very accurate in terms of what he's playing. He's very melodic and he's just soaring. And Fishman hears that, picks up on it and just adds to it, which bleeds into the bathtub tub gin, which I think is the first clear highlight. This is on a short list for me. If someone that loves good music, but is kind of like, eh, on fish. I'm like, can you, can I, can you just listen to this and tell me if you've ever heard a band play anything like this? They're about to play a song and then they're going to take that song into a jam, (laughs) but they're basically going to write a whole new jam or a whole new song off of the jam off of this song. But then they're going to turn the speed up to like, you know, I don't even know. I mean, it's like we're driving in a car and we just like hit the accelerator and just like go and just, you know, you can hold on for dear life. You hit the red and you're just like, but like they're in complete control. You know, it's like you talk about with the end is crazy. The end is crazy. And you talk about this a lot with, um, you know, your love for dance music, your love for going to raves. Like this to me is as close as fish gets to like rave culture where it's like, Hey, Mm. we've got a great melody. It's repetitive. You know it. Let's speed it up. Let's speed it up. Let's speed it up more. And let's see if you can hang on. Like we've got it. We're in control. Are you in control? And it's just such a test for the fan base. It really is. It's awesome. It's, it's just absolutely incredible peaks. I loved it. I'm always blown away by it. It's one of those things that like, this is a running jam for me. This is yes. if I'm going running. So good. You told me uh, and I did it. I, I told you. Did you have a good run while you were while you were listening? I had to a this? great run. Yeah, I had a great run. And because I usually run for like 25 minutes, it's just all I can tolerate. And this was perfect because I started it and then it like kicked in right at that point when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was when it started to like <laughs> get going. <laughs> so it was perfect. It was That's what it's that's what it's there for is the, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm going to keep <laughs> doing it. Um, this is another really good point here from Brian. Uh, as unique as they are, fish is never far from whatever is popular in the mainstream. Mm. In any given year. I, th- I think this is really important, especially for the late nineties because, or, and, and early two thousands for that matter, because first tube and sand were written after Trey went to raves in New York city and listened to a bunch of music was like, I want to write these kind of songs. And he wrote songs like that. And you hear that in like this gin where it's like, this sounds like something that could be played in a club. I'd be here for it. That's for sure. You'd be here for it. We go to Piper next, which is not really like an exploratory Piper, but it's a really solid Piper. I dig it. And then we close the set with, um, if I could. And this is one of the best If I Could's I think has ever been played. This is up there with 7195 for me. If I could to close the um, second set, or excuse me, to close the first set, like you really have to peak that closing jam and they do it here in a really phenomenal way. Yeah, beautiful. That's such a cool ending. It's a vibe that not everybody would probably dig, but I think it's really cool to end the set like that. I do too. Um they would do this again, I believe, in Jones Beach, two thousand nine, and it always felt like a cool throwback to to what happened. But this was the first, if I could, since July thirty first, nineteen ninety eight, which was one hundred and twenty three shows earlier. Which just wow. wild to think that, like, at this point in time, they just weren't playing this song that 
seemed to show up in most shows in the uh, mid nineties. Set two disease, hood, Jabu, circus, Mike's Albuquerque, week kind of a weird set on paper, <laughs> you know, but I think ultimately this set really works. You've got some, you got disease, your standard, and I say standard in like the most complimentary way possible because I love that it's standard, but standard set to opener, get Harry Hood, kind of the rare second song of the second set, Harry Hood. I've seen them do that one, six, 12, 2010. They had it come out of a rock and roll. Uh, it was really cool just to have it be like so early in the set. Jabu, it's the new, it's basically the single of summer 2000. I think that they played it at every single run that they played throughout the summer. Um, before a break with Circus and then a really unique Mike song, Albuquerque, just uh, amazing. And then uh, Week of Pog. What were your highlights of this overall set? I think this hood is cool. I love the kind of synth funk over the intro. The drop-in is like really good and the crowd is just going crazy during this show. I think that like Trey was throwing some glow sticks at some point too. So I think there was like a whole thing going on but it's really gorgeous. I think it was also just one of those hoods that you listen to and you're like, that must have been so fun to be in the room for. Like that hood must have been really great to be there for. Um, I love this Mike's Groove. Albuquerque is like the only thing that I might want instead of like a hydrogen. Like if it's hydrogen's not going to be there, like maybe it can be Albuquerque. I know you love this song. And I went down like an Albuquerque rabbit hole. I was texting you about it. Like, and then I was on like a Neil Young. It was like the perfect thing I needed on like Friday afternoon when like world fell apart for women in this country. And I just started going down this Neil Young rabbit hole, but Albuquerque really sent me there. And it's just, it's so special and gorgeous and intimate, this song. It's just, it's beautiful. And I love it in this Mike's jam. The Mike's is like groovy, dancey, Mike Sunfire trance like again it has that same kind of build up of those repeating riffs and then there's like the total stop and then they pick right back up which I just I'm like a sucker when they do that I don't know if other people like that but I just love it I think it's so cool it's so cool right when they can just like and we're back in um and then the week of hog is awesome it just rocks there's just such an exclamation point on the set I really love this Mike's groove yeah I think one thing I like about this set is I like the third quarter, if you take disease through when the circus comes, like I like that in principle, it's all great songs. I think they all flow really well. I agree with you on the hood. I was listening to it on my back patio last Saturday and I was just thinking about how interesting it was that like, it just kind of fades out. Like it's, it's not a very good, uh, it's not a very strong peak to the song and it doesn't really need to be. It fits in the vibe of the air. I guess this kind of gets to what, um, uh, Brian was saying earlier, just in terms of like the ambient experiment experimentation, um, Jabu, they just kind of nailed during this tour. But to me, this set is all about the Mike's Albuquerque week. Um, the Mike's reminds me in a lot of cases of the nine twenty nine ninety nine version from Memphis, uh, which they, um, they released as an official release back in March. Trey's effects at this point in time, his speed, his rhythmic abilities, 
is listening to both Mike and Fishman to figure out where he needed to find the pocket to play in. It works perfectly in these Mike songs that go into that jam segment and then find themselves in this like hypnotic funk and have this start stop happening. And then one of the stops, you get this like silence and then. And it's just like this haunting slow guitar intro um, off of what I would call one of the five greatest albums of all time. Um, And then you get Week of Pog to just like, it makes you happy. It's celebratory. It's funky. It's weird all over again. Everything that you heard from the mics, you're just, you're there again following this beautiful Albuquerque. So it's a great close to the set, even though like the, the first, half of the second set isn't mind-blowing it's all really good but the second part like the mic's groove is really what makes this yeah i totally agree i this is something i would listen to i would go back to for sure this mic's groove. Mm-hmm. first tube and loving cup close out the show i don't have much to say about it i think it's a very solid closer first tube sounds great in this era the sirens trays just like all over the place. He's like up and down in the neck of his guitar. It's it's just great. It's it's good stuff. And then Loving Cup. I, I don't really want to meet the person who complains about a Loving Cup encore, even though it's a very normal thing. No, I, I don't either. I actually wrote in my notes. I don't know what I was doing when I was taking these notes, but I wrote yum, sexy song. I don't I don't know what was happening there, but <laughs> I love this song. It's I love it. It just like it's like what every girl wants to hear from someone they like i don't know this is like to me this is i'm never going to complain about a loving cup it's the kind of song that like you know fish isn't really the kind of band that you like think about playing in like a cabin like playing very americana (laughs) type music you know like they're very there's like a nerdy prog element to them they like attack music as like a science experiment at times rather than like the feel aspect of it, which has always been interesting to me that like they can mm-hmm. play Neil Young so well because he is someone I imagine like plays in just like a cabin and like, ah, this amp works. So we'll go ahead, we'll plug in, we'll shred. Um, Trey, Fish, they're so methodical. Loving Cup is like the band, is it's it's fish sounding like truly like the Rolling Stones sounding truly like classic American and British rock and sounding in this manner that like it's authentic. It, it feels it's a vibe and loving cup does that entirely. Totally great encore, especially after first tube. Cause then you have your like exclamation point moment. And then you got your, Hey, we're all in this together type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to night two, 629-2000. This, I think I can say with full confidence that this is my favorite show of 2000. Fukuoka, notwithstanding, Fukuoka is on another level. Okay, that's got to be out of there, yeah. But this is like, just like a pure, just like show. In America, normal fish show at an amphitheater. This is this is it for me. Um, song selection I love. Second set has some real, real hearts tug 
uh, moments that we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, and the first set contains my favorite segue of all time. Um, set one reads funky bitch, Wilson, limb by limb drowned and rock and roll five song first set that I kind of feel like they could have thrown another song or two in there. Mm hmm. But yeah, I'm okay it's, with they it. seem short. Like I was looking at the times, and both of these first sets are like 60, 70 minutes max. They're not that long, but they're full, and they come out swinging for both of these shows. It's nice. What were some of your highlights for the first set here? I mean, I thought the first three songs were really good. Limb by Limb has some pretty intense peaks at the end, but it's all about this drown rock and roll. This is just so good it's so good i love drown and it was crazy because i was taking my dog on a walk and listening to this literally at the exact moment that you texted our group chain about this segue and it is one of the most incredible segues ever i mean i was listening to it and it was one of those things where you stop it and you like move it back to listen to it again like was that actually as smooth as it just sounded it's just it's so good and they sound so plugged in and just, I mean, it's the perfect two songs to play when you're playing like the way they're playing in these shows. Yeah. I'm trying to choose my words carefully because like, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to risk being too hyperbolic here. Um, Come on, just go for it. Just go for it. Uh, um, <laughs> I... I think it's just such an accomplishment that this band was able to connect the worlds of the who and the velvet underground in the way that they were. This is like fish is like a laboratory for what classic rock meant and what it can mean going forward in in so many ways like they they take ideas from prog rock history they take ideas from arena rock history and they kind of throw it all together in this big stew plus you throw in the legacy of the grateful dead the greatest american band in the history of america and probably the greatest american band ever um when all is said and done uh fish takes all these concepts Plus modernizes it. You know, Brian talked about this uh, in the comments section earlier. Modernizes it, stays current with where music is at at that point in time. And so you have this like framework of let's take Pete Townsend and let's extend Pete Townsend's ideas through 70s experimental jazz, um, but also with a bit of kind of like new wave uh, talking head style funk approach to it. Um, and let's just spin that on its head and let's move into a, like a rhythmic rave type of space that we visited the night before in bathtub gym. And let's see where that goes. And they're spinning that out and they're, they're playing that and they're experimenting on it and there's no end in sight. And there's all these little sections where like they just connect on a rhythm and, and Trey's connecting with Fishman and he's connecting with Mike and Paige is just like, you know, fittering over the top with these like with these ideas. And then they switch to a new rhythmic concept and they're all on the same page and they're just doing this over and over and over again. And then at some point they find themselves in an area 
where we're not building this up to another peak. We're actually in the world of 1960s New York City. And Pete Townsend has found himself wearing a leather jacket and sunglasses. And (laughs) it's like the coolest Pete Townsend you've ever seen. He's doing windmills in a leather jacket and sunglasses. And suddenly... We're in the world of the Velvet Underground. Seamlessly. It's like we like you can there's no stopping. There's no like searching for it. It's just here we are. We just we ended up here. It is the butteriest. I don't even know if that's a word, but I don't care. It's it the is today. butteriest. It's a word today of butter sea of butter segues. It moves from one classic rock touch point to another with just complete seamless ease. It's absolutely, absolutely perfect. Every time I listen to this around like 15 minutes, no matter what, this is the same for the chin, for the gin for the night before. Um, without question, I get like chills all over my body mm-hmm. and I just start smiling. And like, I feel like I'm going to cry in like the best way, you know, you're just like, Oh, yeah. how, how, how did a rock band get to a point here where they're hitting all these touchstones, but they're also like fully themselves in this moment? Like it doesn't sound like they're mm-hmm. playing the Who or the Velvet Underground. It sounds like Drowned in Rock and Roll are their own songs, but they originated in the past. There's just so much going on here. And it is to me, anyone who's ever said that they sounded lazy or tired or done in 2000, like this band could have found creativity out of stuff like this going forward. Absolutely. I mean, you listen to these shows, they do not sound like that at all. They sound pretty inspired still. They really do. Yeah. They, they sound really like do. they want to keep exploring what what's what's possible in their music. Yeah. Do you think they, they intentionally, they knew that the, they were going to do this segue or do you think it just happened? <sighs> a really good question i mean i don't think we'll ever know my guess is that they did not know and just stumbled into it yeah my my thought on this is that they started drowned because drowned could be played in the second or in the first set a bunch we're going to hear a really great drowned Mm -hmm. um about two weeks later at deer creek the night of the moby dick show they'll play drowned in the first set go into this like total hypnotic groove space and somehow end up in um uh, Chalk Dust Torture Reprise, second time that that song had ever been played. And it's like a perfect, it's a very different type of se- uh, segue, but it's like they're 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 drowned and now they're in Chalk Dust Torture Reprise in a really cool mm-hmm. way. But I kind of feel like listening to this, there's a moment where like the drowned is picking up pace and it's, mm-hmm. it's elevating and elevating and elevating. And it's one of my favorite things about the jamming of this era is they're just building a foundation and they're basically mm-hmm. just saying like, we're not going to do anything until the foundation is totally set and it's completely like it, it is rock solid. We are, this is not tipping over in a freaking hurricane and they're <laughs> building it and building it. And out of nowhere, Trey hits the, but he's in the wrong key. But the crowd catches on and the crowd loses their mind. And then it's like, he looks over a page. It's like, okay, let's go back. Let's go down to rock and roll. And they get there and they start singing the song. So I don't think it's planned. What what do you think? Do you disagree? Do you agree? No, I I think that's right. It's listening to, it's so good. It's hard to imagine that it's not planned, but it's, I don't, I think you're right. I think they end up there in a way that's like, 
incredible. I mean, I just can't imagine being on stage at this point after all that they've accomplished and still finding moments like this that are just so thrilling and still want to like take a break. Like it just shows like, you know, how much was going on outside of the music. But this, this is a two set song, like a set of songs that I would recommend anyone listen to like over and over again. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's right, so I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. I, you know, one thing, the idea of this being planned because it sounds so fluid. Um, it's interesting. Like, I don't want to name any bands by 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 name when I say this, and and I don't want this to come across as like insulting in any way. Um, but there are jam bands that like they plan out what they're going to do and they plot it out and they discuss it. They know what's going to happen. And actually, you know, I will talk about it because I, I think it's it's an interesting comparison. Um, I went and saw Umphreys McGee two weekends ago here at Red Rocks, and every time I see them, I'm like, how the fuck is this band doing this? Like, how are they so tight and so uh, aggressive and quick with their changes? And a lot of it is they're talking to each other throughout the show. They have the inner mic, uh, mics that they're able to talk to each other mid jam and basically say like, let's go into this segment. Let's no go to this song. Let's go back That's into cool. this section. And I think it's really cool. Like it's really mm-hmm. grown on me because it's like, it's an added layer of communication. The audience has no, like you can see it when it's happening on stage, but like you have no idea what they're actually saying to each other. And then they make the change and the change is perfect. The thing that will always make fish so special to me though, is that like, this I don't this at this point in time like Fish just got in ear monitors uh, for the last tour um, where Trey started being able to tell the band comically because we could all hear him saying it on stage but he could tell the band what song they wanted to play without like having to go around to each member and, and telling them so you know songs ending and then he says all right let's go to Karini boom they go to Karini um, at this point in 2000, they didn't have anything like that. And so this type of change is happening as they're playing it, just like completely organic. And it just, it blows me away. Even though I, I like the other side of it, where like the idea of the band jamming and then saying, hey, we should go into rock and roll here. Like that connection could be really cool as well. But I don't know. Yeah, I think there's something so special about the organic nature of Fish, whether it's how they came up or who they are as a band or how they've played, but they've always been so in the moment and so organic in a way that has always set them apart. Yeah. It's one of the, like the, we talk about it a lot. Like when, when there's a conversation around like, Oh, the show is so sloppy. Like I don't necessarily want the band to be unprofessional and unprepared, but I do think that there's value in the band showing up as they are in the moment and figuring it out and their talent drives them and their dedication to connection. And when they feel that whatever they're doing is really working, it's really working. It's not like they've planned anything out in any sort of way. Yeah. And that makes those magic moments even more magical because they're magic for the band too. And that's probably why Fish continues to play and want to play together and continues to be inspired by themselves because they're actually experiencing those moments too. And I think that planning them out is, is super cool. And I see how that could make the show really seamless and tight, but I want my fish a little more dangerous. I like it. That's kind of how I've always been. Um, 
Galaxy Jams here. I agree, and sometimes if you give up the polish, you get a sort of realness, and that's what the magic of improv is. Sometimes things work, and sometimes things don't. I think that's a very good point. Like That is one of our favorite things. It's a constant theme we come back to is like, I kind of want the band to fail. Like I, I'm kind of into like them taking a risk and falling on their face because that adds to the human aspect. It adds to the creative aspect. I don't want everything to be, you know, a failure. I, I want to be clear, but like <laughs> I like that like that's always an element on the table. Yeah, it's a possibility. So let's jump into unless you have anything else to say. I think we've spent 20 minutes on the drowned rock and roll. And personally, yeah. I don't think it's not enough. I don't think it's enough time. It's not enough, but maybe we should get to the rest of the show. Because we know the second set has something that you really like in it. Second set is something I really (laughs) like in it. Um, Second set has a lot of things I really like in it. So Mm -hmm. just to read it for you before we jump into this, we go birds with feather into catapult, heavy things into sand, meat stick into cities into walkway, into run like an antelope, into Frankenstein, and a waiting in the velvet sea set closer with an encore of character zero. on paper, this set, aside from a few areas, doesn't look all that shocking to me. And I remember when I first got this show being like, ah, there's a lot there. Is it really good? Or is it just like a lot of songs over and over again? Um, my brother-in-law, who's seen 150 plus fish shows, says that this is still his favorite fish show he's ever been to. And he pushed me to listen to this show about 15 years ago. And I listened to it and I just, I got it. I understood it. I I get it. And it's, it's one of my favorite fish shows of all time. Um, Let's talk birds through sand. What were your highlights of this segment? What, what are your thoughts on it? I love how weird the birds gets. I mean, it gets super weird and it just has this like, that like wah wah sound that they're just repeating over and over at the end. So to me, it just makes so much sense when they start singing catapult under and the music underneath catapult, it, it's the birds jam. And it just feels like you're like rocking on a boat. Like it just has this like movement to it. That's like kind of like unsettling in this like creepy, cool way. I just felt like I was on like some like scary boat in the middle of the ocean, like and like the small rowboat, like holding on for dear life. It's just got this like super weird vibe to it. I thought it was awesome. I thought the transition to having things was like very, very cool. How they kept that like siren sound going underneath the whole time. Like that was so cool. This set is, it's just cool. And the sand, you know, I liked it. There's like a funk groove. Mike's killing it. The crowd starts like clapping and just sounds like this like groovy, like dance factory. It's just the end is terrifying too of that sand. I think I texted you about it. It's just gets super creepy and weird. I loved the beginning of the set. Yeah, it there's a lot of good flow in this first start mm-hmm. of the set here. You get a love supreme jam within Birds of a Feather that goes into catapult. And you're right, like that sense of like rocking on the waves, like I will take a catapult at any point in time. I will take it in every show. I don't want it to be played in every show because like the special factor, the rare factor is important, but like it fits so perfectly in a jam like this. Um, I'm right there with you. I love how they, like, they, they fade out of the catapult and just, you get the boop, 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 boop. And you get right into heavy things. Um, sand is, 
in this era, you know, it's wild because the last version of sand we all heard from Deer Creek was nothing like this. And it felt like a massive jam that like they broke completely out of the song portion of sand and they didn't look back and they just, they kept going and they kept going and they, they found all these new musical terrains back in 99 and 2000 sand had kind of one singular purpose and it was lock in on an idea and let's groove on that idea. And it was minimalism and it was, let's just see what happens if we don't change a lot and we just let this like become almost like, um, uh, it's like a chant, you know, it's just like, we're just repeating the same things over and over again. We're going to let it go out there and we're going to let it come back. And all these like, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it blows you away how the band was able to stay so focused and so connected. I know a lot of people consider these jams to be kind of boring. I find them really fascinating in the same way that like I listen to a lot of ambient music. And if you listen to a sand like this, it falls in the same category of like what Eno does um, where it's just, let's, Let's turn music into wallpaper. Let's turn it into a thing that exists that doesn't necessarily shock you. But if you like really pay attention to it, if you really fall into it, it's going to just like, it's going to blow you away. Um, shout out Brian here. He said, uh, it was the mm. Tony Markellis effect. I think that's a really good point. You know, it's, this is a time when Trey is so infatuated with playing with tab that, and tab jams at this point in time are really, really interesting that, um, having Mike kind of mimic what Tony was doing is a really good call. Mm. Um, we leave sand and we move into three songs that had not yet been played since the band got back from Japan. Meat mm. sick cities and walk away. The latter two hadn't been played since six fourteen two thousand. which what was six fourteen two thousand? Do you know? Offhand? Mm. Drum logos. Drum logos. Fukuoka. You got it. Um, meat stick features a number of fans who, um, jump on stage and are chased off by Pete Carini (laughs) as well as Bart Butler, uh, who Trey thanked Trey then improvises a verse noting there's no song about Paul Languedoc. There's no song about Corona. There's only one about Carini and his lumpy head. He then informs the audience of the meat stick dance. He then invites some fans on stage to talk to, to, to dance to, to the meat stick. He talks about Tokyo. Oh no, wait, that's the next song. Sorry. Um, he sings a song in Japanese. He invites people on stage to, to dance to the meat stick. And then he says, Something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing. Quite frankly, I'd love for you all to come up on stage. And the place loses its fucking mind. Everybody explodes at that point in time. It's such like a, hey, we're still that little band from Nectars. Like we're still, like that's still who we are. There may be 20,000 of you out there, but like we're still doing the same weird stuff that we did then. And there's just more of you that have decided to follow us. And it's just a moment that like that to me, from a banter standpoint, it says it all. It says it all right there. Yeah. It's so sweet and and it's genuine. And it's like that perfect combination of like 
them talking about what's going on with them and like their world and their, you know, the people that support them and how much respect they have for them. And then also just how much they love the crowd. And it's, it's a really special moment. I love it. I actually like Meat Stick. I think it's funny. And I think when they play it, having a good time. So I have a really interesting relationship with this song. I think it's a good opportunity to dive into it. Ooh, I'm when I curious. first when I first got into fish, I really liked Meat Stick. I thought it was funny. I thought it was hilarious. There's a dance. It's kind of funky. And then when I started seeing fish a lot, there was like a run where for like seven years, if I saw a multi night fish run, I was guaranteed to see a meat stick. <laughs> I get just it was like clockwork, and it became like an inside joke with a bunch of my friends and I that like. No matter what, we're getting a meat stick this run. And then the band finally broke it. I think it was Dick's 2019 that they broke it. And I, I did not get a meat stick that run. <laughs> That's not very long ago either. So that must have gone on for a while for you. <laughs> it, was a, it was a long time. I think it was Dick's 2012 <laughs> to Dick's 2019. Oh but um, Or no, it was earlier than that because I got one in Alpine 2012 as well. It was, And I got one at Gorge 2011. It was a long time. I'd have to go back and do the math on it. But um, I just grew to hate the song. I was just like, mm-hmm. why are you following me around? Why can't I get an Albuquerque? Why can't I get a day in my life? <laughs> why can't I get a 30-minute jam? Why do I just get meat stick every single <laughs> one? And now it's become something of like an endearing song for me. And a version like this is so good. And it like plays into the humor of the band. It plays into the humor of the song. It plays into the kind of the funky nature of the song. There's a segue into cities, which will then segue into walk away. So it works in a kind of groove based standpoint that like, I really, I really, really like it in this set. Yeah, it's fun and it's silly. And this is the first time they sing the Japanese lyrics, right? Because they've just I think been in so. Japan. Yeah, this was yeah because mm-hmm. this is the first time coming back from Japan. Yeah, and he um, says that it's like become a fad there, which is funny. It's hilarious yeah. to think that. Yeah, it's it's hilarious to think that this is an era where they're about to go on hiatus, and yet like it's a minor single in Japan. One of their songs. <laughs> is that true? Um, it's not true. It was definitely played on the radio in Japan. It was? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. It was definitely <laughs> playing on the radio. That's hysterical. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's so good. Cities and uh, Walk Away. There's a really good segue from Cities into Walk Away. And then Walk Away fades into Run Like an Antelope really naturally before we close with Frankenstein, to which Paige says, Thank you. Oh, I love and... that. It's such a good moment. Like, I don't know why. It's like, it hit me right when he said that. And you think they're going to walk off the stage, but yeah. then they close out the set with Waiting in the Velvet Sea. And it's a really beautiful Waiting in the Velvet Sea. And it really makes me think about like, we've talked about this song a lot. And like, I think about, you know, the sentiment around these shows. Trey talked at one point um, about how much fun it is for them to play a quote home show in Homedale. He and Paige are from New Jersey. Paige is from very close to Homedale. Um, and for them to then play waiting, it just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's this really beautiful sentiment that like the band was starting to tap into again, they're in their mid thirties. They've got kids reflectiveness, sentimentality is, you know, these are the Kings of the day at the point in time, you know, these are, this is, this is the part of your life where you're starting to realize how 
short everything is, how significant things are, and how lucky you are when you have things that are working out, how challenging things can be from time to time. And playing a song like Waiting in the Velvet Sea, you know, as we're about to enter a really dark and difficult period for the band for the next basically decade it's going to be a really hard decade for the band as as individuals and as a band itself before ultimately they'll reunite at the end of this decade um which is really weird just kind of side note for me to think about like this show being played in the same decade that like 3609 was played it feels like (laughs) you know had to have been at least two decades apart from each other there's so much difference in in the sound and in the band but you know in just nine short years they're going to be back together um, playing again and and this era here this really showcases a band that um i don't know they still have it even though they're they're probably in need of a break and i imagine them singing a lyric like that line that just kills me like someone else will set your clocks you know that's just like that's so much about change and moving on from like something that's been so important to you and just had to hit them hard. It did. It really did. Um, we end with zero, which kind of works like the encores from the night before. It's very solid way to send us off. No zero mm-hmm. encore is ever really going to like blow you away. Um, but you know, it's, it's still, it's a very solid way to close the show. And we close the show here then with, uh, you know, that, that performance and, from here, the band will go up to Hartford. They'll play two shows in Hartford. Um, and then they will go to Camden again. It's a very strange run. They go New Jersey, Hartford, Southern New Jersey. It's very, very interesting to me the way that they worked it out. But the Summer 2000 Tour continues. I have a couple questions for you before we go. Okay, let's hear it. So we talked about this a lot, and I think I know your answer, but I want to just ask you directly. Um, the post Cypress hangover is like a theme that people talk about. Does this run in any way change your perspective on the idea of the post Cypress hangover? A little bit. I don't know if the hangover was as bad as people are saying it was. You know, I'd have to listen to more 2000 kind of like in a focused way, the way that I listen to these shows to be able to kind of accurately speak on that. But I think that these shows to me don't sound like a band that is hungover at all. I'm right there with you. Um, I listened to the entire fall 2000 run a couple years ago when we were doing a big project on it. And I would even argue until the final week of the 2000 Mm -hmm. fall 2000 tour, they don't sound tired until that point post Vegas is really, really, really when they get tired. Yeah, I can see that. I don't think anybody slept during that point in time either. Yeah, I um, said they were up for like a week or something straight, right? Week straight at that point in time. The Incredible Perp says, I had a blast in yeah. 2000. No hangover here. They rocked. I, I feel that. I'm in there. Um, how does this run leading up to an indefinite hiatus compare to you to the Spaco four run that we listened to about a week or so ago. Oh God. I don't even think they're comparable. I mean, Spaco four has a few moments, but the band sounds totally different than they do at this run. I mean, this run, they still, to me sound really tight and inspired. I think it's back in Oh four. 
I have strong feelings about that. Those shows are hard to listen to for me. And these were not at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets back to, well, I know I agree. I agree completely. I think that it gets back to the conversation around the post-Cypress hangover. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that like ultimately it strikes me that the band was while they weren't necessarily discovering new sounds and new ideas, they were still hitting on the sounds and the ideas that like really they, they tapped into for the last three or four years and excelling at it. And they were kind of like blowing them out. There wasn't a ton of new Mm -hmm. material being played, but there was a lot of like, what's the right way to put it? It's not necessarily new. It's more just like taking old ideas and like reshaping them in a way and kind of like making them bigger and making them uh, uh, sound like maximalist in a lot of cases. Whereas Spaco 4 to me sounds like a band that is kind of filled with regret about where things are at and is really sad about where things are at, but is like playing through that. And that's a very different – Yeah, this may you know represent a band who is no longer – churning out new ideas and revolutionary ideas, but like is blowing out their sound in a really cool way. Um, all right. We need to get into a like pick your children type moment here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm ready. <laughs> Bathtub gin or drowned into rock and roll. Oh, drowned into rock and roll. You You're just throwing the first kid off the, off the cliff. You're just like, I'm, yeah. done, I'm done with you. I don't need you. Mm-mm. You know, we, we, we're just, we're, we're moving on with drowning rock and roll. Um, I'm right there with you. I love this gin, but the drowning rock and roll, it's my, we spent 20 minutes talking about two songs, which shout out RJ and Jonathan. You guys would never let us do that. And we're doing yeah, it without exactly. you. <laughs> this is what happens when you're not here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you pick as the <laughs> as the overall jam of the run? Is it your same answer or is there something different? No, I'm going to pick a different answer. I okay. really think it's the Mike's Groove. I'm into that. It's, it's the Mike's Albuquerque Weekabog. It's so good and so fun to hear this incredible song in the middle of Mike's and Weekabog. I just love it. I think this is a really awesome little Mike's Groove. And it's it just stuck with me. Like I was thinking about it after. It's a really good mic groove. It's really, really good. I don't think you're wrong. I'm going super boring and I'm picking the drown into rock and roll because You got it. It's up there for me. If I had to like put together a playlist of like, hey, you get like these twenty-five fish jams to listen to for the rest of your life and that's it. This is this drowned rock and roll is on there. So um, I mean it makes I'm sense. Right the way you described it was pretty incredible. We went through like this classic rock journey. So I enjoyed that a lot. I get it. I want to point out really quickly because I meant to share this, but we had, we had to move on. Um, I talked about, you know, Pete Townsend wearing a leather jacket and sunglasses. And as Brian, <laughs> our all-star commenter today said, that was his outfit in the early, early eighties, but it was not cool at that point. Um, Wait, I a leather that. jacket? Isn't a leather jacket always cool? Isn't that kind of like a, a timeless piece of fashion? I kind of feel like the 80s were like a period where you couldn't wear a leather jacket. Right. It was all like fluorescent colors and like... Yeah, like it, became, it was like the 90s when you could wear a leather jacket again. I don't know. This is like... I, I wear 
the exact same clothes to every single episode. Like I, I have no basis. I don't think for we fashion. should be going to you for fashion. I'm not. I'm not. Know what you're saying? I know a lot of fish, but I don't know a lot of fashion. Well, um, I'm here to say that I think a leather jacket is always in fashion. It's a kind of a timeless piece. But well, we can debate listen that. Listen to Ben Goodrich says. Sword shorts. And apparently Pete was wearing a short sleeve leather jacket, which is not very oh, cool. That's very different. You're right. That's it. <laughs> that's that's not different. cool. That's when you cross the line into like it not being cool anymore. Whenever there's <laughs> sleeves taken off, which is basically what Mike Gordon wore for like a large period of the 90s, like the sleeveless stop and tray, it's just never a good idea. No. Mm-mm. No, I basically like my entire fashion sense is guided by what is in the Eddie Bauer catalog. <laughs> That's it. The catalogs. You're you're That's dating it. yourself here, Brian. Uh, a little bit. Literally everything I'm wearing except for the hat is is Eddie Bauer. That's it. <laughs> you know, they ask me, "What are you wearing?" It like the fish red carpet. I'd be like Eddie Bauer. That's it. That's all. Ooh, I can have. we have a fish red carpet? That sounds super fun. That's what we're gonna do at the <laughs> retreat. Um, <laughs> Well, this was fun. Great. I'm really glad we talked about these shows. These are these are two of my favorite shows that the band has played in the last 22 years. And really overall, I love this run. I love these shows. Um, we'll be back next week. We're changing our schedule slightly because of the holiday. Uh, we figure we'll give you all the 4th of July off. We're going to take the 4th of July off. We'll be back on Tuesday, though. We're going to be back Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Um, Next Tuesday, we are celebrating another two-night run, slightly different time period. We are talking Sugarbush 1995. I, I was thinking about it like we went through all of June and didn't mention summer 95. We didn't mention June 95 once. It's shocking. We really needed to do it. And so we're going to do this um, on July 5th. And then we'll be back on Wednesday to talk about 7698 Prague 1998. So two really cool early July shows, early July um, uh, 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 shows from the band. One from Sugarbush. Mark Tarleton, I'm right there with you, man. I love, love 95. That's Brian's big, jam. Big, big right jams. That's, that is my jam. Um, and then we'll talk about Prog 98. We'll dip into uh, 7.5, but we'll mainly focus on 7.6, the, the big show. Um, till then, I want to tell you all one more time about our sponsors. We are so happy to be sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD. They're a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. To build and protect healthy soils, they are 100% pesticide-free. They use minimal tillage. They implement cover crops and crop rotations, and they also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont's agronomists to study hemp and inform industry best practices. Look, how many more ways do you need us to say it? I love Sunset Lake. I'm going to finish up today's recording. I'm going to have a Sunset Lake gummy, and I'm going to think about how they are majority employee-owned, how they are environmentally friendly, how every time I order Sunset Lake, it's like it's here the next day. Like we order stuff for my son and it takes like 10 days and he's just like, oh, 
guys, like, where's my new mail truck toy? I need my new mail truck toy. And I order Sunset Lake and it's here the next day. It's an incredible thing. So please, please check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned and Vermont grown. And Megan, do you want to tell us about our second sponsor, Cash or Trade? I'd love to. I use cash or trade all the time. They're the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. They have a really great service. Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after transaction, which makes it really great because you feel like you can connect with the person and make sure that like everything's going right. And you can rate and review each other when the transaction's complete. There's no added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back. Users can also avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. So check them out, cashortrade.org. I've got some tickets on there. I can't go to Alpine anymore, which is kind of gutting, but I have some Alpine tickets on there. So use Cash or Trade. It's the best. It's amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Amazing place to connect with fans and buy, sell, trade tickets. So Enjoy your long weekend and your long break from HF Pod on tour, HF Pod Live, whatever we whatever we are. We're here. We're we're on tour we're in the <laughs> summer. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday, July 5th, 4 30 p.m. Eastern to cover Sugarbush 95. In the meantime, check out the live show. Check out the next episode of 36 from the Vault. Check out our new show on Osiris, Spotlight On. Great interview show with industry leaders. Uh, we've got an excellent episode coming out next Thursday with Steve Kimmock. Check out Inappropriate Happiness. Check out the dudes over at The Great Beyond. There's so much to listen to at Osiris Media. And watch the Osiris Twitter account tomorrow. There's going to be some really, 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 really cool information uh, dropping about stuff happening in Denver around the Dick's Run. I'm really excited about it. I can't wait. Ooh, I know. fun. I can't wait. I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I can't wait. But till then. Everybody have yourself a phenomenal weekend. Happy 4th. We'll talk with you all here soon. Bye, everyone. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
right, my show, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, has hit 1 million podcast downloads because of you. This is huge. That means we're in the top 5% of all podcasts among listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting what we do. Iron sharpens iron. On this show, we dive into the most pressing news of our time. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Providing insightful commentary and a heavy dose of fact-based truth. We cover criminal justice, politics, social justice, policy, and how racism affects us all. Find Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed to our show so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate us with five stars. Now that we've reached 1 million podcast downloads, let's get our show to number one in the podcast charts. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.